Welcome to Dicey Stuff, the podcast about life, because, well, the dicey stuff is the realest stuff of our lives. Come along as Lois examines living as a Christian woman in this modern age. Time to roll. Hello, everyone. My name is Lois Matson. This is Dicey Stuff. I'm thinking about something dicey today. For whom did Christ die? First, let's talk about the difference between who and whom. Who is the subject of a sentence? Who left the door open? Who is coming with me? Whom is the object of a sentence, of a verb, of a preposition? It's an object word, so it's usually used with a with or a by or a for, or a to, to whom, for whom, with whom. It can be used as the first word of a sentence if you use it in the sense of whom do you love, but that's not normal spoken English word order. And here's a pro tip for free. If you can replace the who with he, and it makes sense, It's correct. He goes with who. If you can replace the whom with him, and it makes sense, then it's correct. Sometimes you have to change the word order a little bit. When I say, for whom did Christ die? Or, for who did Christ die? If I change the word order to say, Christ did die for him, or Christ did die for he. Well, that's obvious that it's him, which means whom goes with that sentence. For whom did Christ die? Or Christ did die for whom? So he who goes together, him whom goes together. He who, him whom. There's your English lesson for the day. So I've been thinking about for whom Christ died. I think about this in our little town that has grown substantially over the past decade or two. When I sit at a stoplight in my small hometown, there are so many cars. And each of those cars has people in it. Sometimes you sit through more than one cycle of a light turning red and green before you can get through at rush hour. There are so many people just in my little town. I go into Walmart. There are so many people. Christ died for all of the people in my Walmart. Christ died for all of the people in my small town. Christ died for all of the people in all of the Walmarts, in all of the small towns, and all of the large cities. We can't even wrap our brains around that. But looking at some specifics that might surprise you. Christ died for criminals. That thief on the cross was a real thief who had really stolen things. He was a real sinner. What about murderers? The Apostle Paul had a hand in murdering Christians 
when he was still named Saul, and Jesus died for him. For whom did Jesus die? For people out of our social strata, highfalutin people, and people who are homeless, who are hopeless, who are lost. We might consider ourselves somewhere in the middle. For whom did Christ die? The person begging outside of my local Walmart, and even the one who is too lazy to beg. Did Christ die for mean people? What about that middle school girl who mocks and bullies your daughter? Christ died for her. What about that poor child's mother who mocks and bullies you? Christ died for her. What about that person at work who is just a jerk to everyone, a demanding boss, a know-it-all co-worker? Christ died for them. What about your in-laws who stick their nose in your business? Or your parents who stick their nose in your business? What about your children, the ones who are rebellious and disrespectful? Christ died for them. What about your spouse when you're in a fight and they say or do things that are very hurtful, very damaging? For whom did Christ die? Yes, for your spouse. What about you when you're the one who says hurtful and hateful things? What about you when you harbor bitterness in your heart? What about you when you think of yourself as better than another? What about you? Yes, you too are one for whom Christ died. There's a phrase that we use that comes close to home. In curvatus in se means curved in on yourself. One of my pastors used to use navel-gazing. You're curled down and staring into your own belly or your own heart. We have an ingrown curvature. We think of self. We think of self. We think of self. And we so so seldom. Look around. Open your eyes and look around. There is a whole world out there. People within your family circle, people within your local neighborhood, people within your local congregation, people just down the street, people in the next town over, other people in your state, other people in your country, other people in your continent. There are so many people in the world, and so many of them are hurting from physical need, from spiritual need, from emotional need. But I tend to look at my own belly and my own heart and not lift my head and look at my neighbor and see their need and meet their need. I'm not hollering at you as much as I'm preaching to myself. We have ingrown hearts, like ingrown toenails, and they need attention to be healed. Christ's word brings us 
out of ourself. The word helps us to notice the world around us, the people in our sphere of influence. God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does, as Dr. Martin used to say. The scripture talks about the brother for whom Christ died in a few different places. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in his first epistle, chapter 8. He's talking about food offered to idols. We know that food offered to an idol is nothing. It's just food because an idol is nothing. There's no such thing as a real existing false god. We make false gods all over the place, and we make idols all over the place, and we offer our sacrifices to those idols all over the place. But eating food in an idol temple, when the idol is a statue made out of wood or gold or silver, that idol has no power, no existence in reality. But God is real, and God is powerful. He created all things. He made us personally, and he made all of the people around us. God the Father, God the Son who redeemed us, God the Spirit who works like the wind where we can't see it. We don't know where it's coming from and we don't know where it's going, but God's Spirit is working. But everybody doesn't know that. So when in Corinth, people ate the food that had been offered to an idol, some others who saw them were concerned. I want to read to you all of chapter 8, 13 verses of 1 Corinthians. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, He does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former associations with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? 
and so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. The Apostle Paul is talking about Christians, other believers. He talks about this in Romans. He's talking about judgment in chapter 14. He's talking about not passing judgment. One who eats meat, one who does not. One who observes the day, one who does not. And he says that none of us live to ourselves and none of us die to ourselves, but we are the Lord's. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. And then he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? I would like to read from Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 19. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Paul in Romans is also talking about Christians, our brothers and sisters in the faith. It's easier to love our brothers and sisters in the faith and to do good to them than it is to love and serve our neighbor who is not in faith. The Apostle John, in his first epistle, chapter 2, writes about those for whom Christ died. I'd like to read that for you. Verses 1 through 6, 1 John, chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, he ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John says that 
Jesus Christ the righteous is the propitiation for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. For whom did Christ die? For the whole world. Those people who are sitting at a stoplight in town who cut you off in traffic, they are people for whom Christ died. That bum laying under a bench in a park is one for whom Christ died. That hateful and hurtful person is one for whom Christ died. Who are we to pass judgment on our neighbor? Lift up your heads and see the world around you and serve the world around you. You are the daughter of the Most High King if you believe in Jesus Christ. How then should you live as the daughter of the Most High King? In service to your children? Yes. In service to your spouse? Yes. In service to your parents and your in-laws? Yes. Your co-workers? That middle school bully and her mom? Mean people? The survivor of sexual abuse is one for whom Christ died. And the perpetrator of sexual abuse is also one for whom Christ died. Every crime, the victim and the perpetrator, are both ones for whom Christ died. And they all need the word. Because the word is what brings faith. The word is what brings salvation. So how then would you live if you knew that you are the daughter of the Most High King? I hope that you would live in service to your neighbor, proclaiming the word as God gives you opportunity. Pray for opportunities to speak the name of Jesus. You will not be popular for it. You will not be praised for it. Our world is in darkness. And Jesus, the light of the world, has come. Let his light shine through those cracks in your clay pot. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Thanks be to God for his incredible mercy to us and for his word that sustains our faith, that grows our faith, and is the sword by which we combat the devil's lies and by which we proclaim God's truth. Thank you for listening. God's peace be with you. Oh, hey, DSPS. Ernest Hemingway wrote a book called For Whom the Bell Tolls, and he references a poet, John Donne's practice of funeral tolling. The bell tolled at funerals. Some churches still use that as the hearse carries away a body. The bell tolls. In the military, 
they use the song Taps. Taps is played. I want to read you a paragraph that Hemingway quotes using John Donne's original Old English spelling and Old English way of speaking. No man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. He is saying that every death on earth is a reminder to me of my death, is a part of mankind and the death of mankind. We know that death came by sin. Sin is disobedience to God, rebellion against God. And so when someone dies, I am reminded of sin and the curse of death that has fallen upon mankind. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ is the victor over sin and over death. He is alive forevermore and he brings our eternal life with him. God be praised. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dicey Stuff, the podcast where Lois talks about this big dicey adventure called life. You're welcome to send your comments and feedback to diceystuffpodcast at gmail.com. Please, if you would, subscribe and share. Until next time. Roll on, friends.